So I'm going to read chapter 7. But in order to properly understand chapter 7, you kind of have to understand it be there for chapter 6. So I'm going to um, read, skip through chapter 6, and then I'll let you know where we are once we get there, though. But So chapter 6 begins, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice of thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened a third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And then he goes through explaining what a... Um, famine looks like. In verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider was named Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And I opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out the loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you were judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then we're going to see this in chapter 7. And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. And when he had opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars fell from the, sky, the earth to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of, of Gab, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd." And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. So as we talk to people and say, I'm going to preach to the book of Revelation, you get different responses. Um, I won't belabor this point too much, but a lot of people do book of Revelation to draw a crowd. Um, then if, but there's others who worry if you preach the book of Revelation, you're going to drive people away. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of the book of Revelation. I remember the tradition I grew up in was a dispensational church, if you know what that is, and um, scared death about all the stuff in Revelation. I remember as a child reading some of this and, and even speaking to my mother who was afraid of these things, and I was just kind of, I was trying to comfort her even. I was like, we're not supposed to be afraid of this stuff. This, we must be looking at this wrong because we're not supposed to be afraid of these things. We, you fear the Lord. I don't think I articulate it quite as great as that, but that was what my thinking was. But a lot of people are afraid of Revelation. And, um, and one of the reasons is you, get, you have a book of symbols, and you, and you take a symbol, and you can interpret a symbol however you want to. And there's a, you know, some people who write songs, um, they'll write a song today and, they'll say, and you'll say, what do you mean by that? And they'll say, well, it doesn't matter what I mean, it's what it means to the person listening to it. And to me, I'm like, I care less what it means to me, I want to know what it meant to you when you wrote it. <laughs> I want to know what you meant when you said that. And, uh, but as an artist, they're just like, they want other people to interpret. And yeah, whatever, if that's the way they want to do it, that's fine. But that's not the way the God of Word, the God of Word, the Word of God works. There, what does he mean is what we want to know. He has symbols. You can come up with you know, a beast. What's the beast? It could be anything. And if you read much about um, people who interpret Revelation, they go crazy on this stuff. And they want to make everything they see in the newspaper fit. Uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan. I remember that. How many letters are in there in the word Ronald? Six. How about Wilson? Six. And the, word, and the name Reagan? Six. <gasps> yeah. Barcodes. <gasps> the Beatles, the band, with their electric guitars and their tails that come out like scorpions that they plug into the amplifiers. That's, that's that in the book of Revelation. It's like, come on. And then my favorite book title is, I think it's the right numbers, 88 Reasons the World We're In in 1988. It's like, well, you got that one wrong. Maybe we need to go back to zero reasons the world will end in the year 2000. That might be a, a better one. So you got to be able to interpret it somehow. And we could say, well, I just want the Holy Spirit to descend upon me and give me extra revelation so that I can explain to everybody out there what it means. 
I don't want that. I don't want a God to use the Bible like that because then I'm like, who do I depend on? How do I know that you truly do have the Holy Spirit and you're interpreting it right? And, I'll, and that's another way God gives us these things. God does open the eyes and hearts and ears and minds to the, his word that a believer can see himself in the gospel and Jesus Christ and is opened up in a way that brings us more faith and more hope and more understanding and, and makes us more like Christ. And so there is a key to how do you do this. And the key is let the Bible interpret the Bible. And we're, that's why a couple of times we're going to go to the Old Testament if not for nothing else but to show you that this comes from the Bible and not just he's making up something and you've got to figure out what it means. But there are a lot of people, and the big question is, what about the tribulation? Is the church going to go through the tribulation? That's a huge question. So you got pre-trib, rapture, post-trib, rapture, mid-trib, rapture, you know, all these things. Rapture being the church is going to be taken out, and then there's going to be tribulation, to which I say, Why? The church is gone. It's not good for the rest of the world. It's gone. That's this it. That's the end. That's what the Bible says. There's, there's no rapture as such where the world will continue and God's going to deal with people differently and people are going to get saved in a slightly different way. This is the gospel. Will the church go through the great tribulation? Will the church go through tribulation? Yes. Absolutely. And the question that I think we have has to be, well, I would say that things probably, looking at the Bible, toward the end will get increasingly worse. It just makes sense that it would. There are some people who believe that the world is going to increasingly get better, and the whole world will end up being Christian before you know it, and that's that thousand-year reign of Christ. I don't see it in Scripture. I see the wheat and the tares being growing up together, and he doesn't want to pull up the, the weeds yet, the tares yet, because there's still it'll pull up the, the wheat too. So we're growing up, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, side by side. We're supposed to be light in the world. We're supposed to be um, bringing a harvest of righteousness out and all these things so that we continue in this life through trials and tribulation. Anybody going through any trial or tribulation? Anybody? <laughs> and if you're not, you know, you're lying to yourself. At least look the inner circle. You're going to find it. it. It is the condition of a fallen and cursed world. This is where we are. We're in the Great Tribulation. And a part of the problem can be that if we only see the Tribulation as some final thing that happens because we know that the believer is protected we know that we're protected from spiritual harm by God and if we see these things especially in Revelation but in the rest of the Bible that's there about protecting us through the tribulation then what is it now what about the troubles I'm having in my personal life what about these significant things that are causing really difficult times in my life right now what you got for that I mean, maybe we'll go through the Great Tribulation. I don't know. Ain't nobody got time to think about that. Okay? If we get there, we get there. I pray. Thank God we don't have to go through the Great Tribulation. Okay, good. <laughs> but a lot of people I know, Tribulation is pretty great right now. And there's other parts in the world, and we've talked about this before, where it is more horrific than we could possibly imagine what it's like to be a believer. And so tell them we're not going through Tribulation. 
what is God telling us about how we can deal with our current tribulations? And this is what the book of Revelation is about. How do we deal, how should we see the current tribulations that we go through, whether they get a little bit better in our future or a whole lot worse in our future? What's going on? And how is the church supposed to to look at it? So for the idea that we're living in the last days, and I'm going to ask you to turn to these places, but 2 Timothy 3.1 says, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And in verse 12 he says, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So we have to say, you know, do you desire to live a godly life in Christ? Are you being persecuted? And so now you have to look and go, well, you know, I am thoroughly convinced I may just be paranoid, but like for a while there, we couldn't find on our Facebook page videos for the past three months of all of our sermons. They're just gone. I'm like, Chris, where's our videos? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. And then magically, they popped right back up. And since then, our views have gone from a few hundred to like just dozens. So I don't know whether Facebook is like persecuting us and not putting our videos forward, or maybe people are just sick of hearing me talk. I don't know. It could be a combination of these things, but that ain't persecution. That's just some, if that's what's happening, it's just some corporation doing whatever they think they ought to be doing is the world just being the world. I don't think this ought to be where you're hearing the word of God anyway. You need to be in church, listen to a pastor preach the word of God. It can be difficult to get to sometimes. It can be difficult to find churches doing it. But hold churches accountable to open the word of God, preach the word of God, and make sure that's what they're doing. But you can also be persecuted by your own flesh. You can be persecuted by your family. You can be persecuted in spiritual places. There are lots of ways that we as believers are persecuted. If you try to live a life like Christ, it's difficult. And not just because... People are trying to actively come from the outside and do things to you. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, and we're living in these last days. So book of Revelation, the Bible, is for us. And we get to verse 1. And I just want us to go back to chapter 6, verse 17, because this is the point. In Revelation 6, 12 through 17, judgment day is being unleashed. This is it. The world is about to come to an end. All these things that have been happening throughout the history of the world, these things that increased against the church from the time of the resurrection of Christ to, to the time of the end, these things are all happening. But there is a day of judgment that's coming. And then at the end of that, these people are saying in verse 16, they're calling on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? There was at one point, there was silence in heaven, and the question was, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals that unravels all these things, that, that takes the, the plan of God out into fruition so that it can happen? And they're like, there's nobody. Heaven, earth, on the earth, nobody. John weeps loudly. And I believe he's thinking, what about Jesus? Not even Jesus. And then when elders come down and say, yes, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the lamb, he has conquered. And it's like, awesome. And now it's the question, who can stand? And then I saw 
four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, this isn't the answer to who can stand. Yeah, these angels can stand, but these are the guys that are just about to unleash destruction on the earth. This is it. The four corners of the earth, they're holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Now, if you're good with your Bible stuff, you know the word wind can also mean spirit, but that's when we get the word ruah or pneuma in the um, New Testament. Pneumatic from means wind or spirit, but this word is animas, which is a different word, which is this uh, gale, a tempestuous wind. A, uh, when Jesus says to the winds, he, said to say, he says to the animas, peace be still. The wind that blows against the, the house that was built on the rock, it's like a tempestuous wind is coming. So this is a destructive winds that are going to be unleashed. And just to show you that John in this revelation that he's given by God isn't just coming up with images out of his own mind. Go to Zechariah chapter 6. This is um, close to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 and you'll hear and read um, the symbolism. So Zechariah 6.1. Again, I lifted my eyes and I saw and behold four chariots came out from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horse, the second black horse, the third white horses, the fourth chariot um, dappled horses, all of them strong. And then I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horse goes toward the north. The white one goes after them and the dappled ones go after toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So he patrolled the earth and he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country and so we see these happening and now he's unleashing them for final judgment it's the same imagery that's taking place these are they're not the Beatles they're not Ronald Wilson Reagan they are not anything else that you might come up I don't know that this is spiritually what's taking place as God is unleashing judgment on on the earth but then and see we can get so caught up in these little details who are the angels what is they're destructive they're holding back the winds. They're about to unleash, you know, like a hurricane. This thing is coming in. In verse 2, then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. And where does the sun rise? If, unless you're at Oak Island. The sun rises, and it actually does still rise from the east, but it rises from the east. And what's to the east? And that's always the direction towards Eden. And when Adam and Eve were driven from Eden... Cherubim, that's plural, and the King James put an S on it just to make sure you get it. Cherubims, cherubims were stationed at the eastern entrance with flaming swords to keep man from ever getting back into the Garden of Eden and making their way back to the Tree of Life, which is what Revelation is telling us. We're actually getting back in to the better Eden. And so that's where this angel is coming from, from this direction, rising up from the direction where these cherubim are with these flaming swords, and destruction is about to be pronounced. And then this angel comes up with the seal of the living God. 
And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so what we saw in the sixth seal is the destruction. The seventh seal is, hold off a second, because who can stand? Nobody can stand. So we're going to have to seal the people of God. So what is this seal? So Ezekiel chapter 9. So if you can find where the prophets are, it's after Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You'll find him in there. Chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. So again, we're talking about the, the sealing on the, the forehead, the forehead of the believers. And this is where this idea comes from. Even before you get to Ezekiel, you get to the mark of Cain. If you remember this, Cain kills his brother, and um, God sends him out. And Cain is like, anybody that finds me is going to kill me? And he's like, well, no, if anybody kills you, I'm going to bring vast destruction and death resulting from that. So I will put a seal on you that people will see, and then they'll know and be reminded not to harm you. Um, so who knows what that was, what that might have looked like, but it is a, a seal. And seals do lots of different things. Um, a seal, when you see the Ziploc bags, that's a seal. It seals and protects. Uh, you can look at a brand on a, like Oreo cookies. You know, that's like Oreo. Okay, it's not those fake cookies that look like Oreos. This is the real thing. This is the Oreo. It's not, it's not, not Dr. Thunder, Dr. Pepper. This is the actual, it's branded. You have cattle that were branded, sealed. It meant that belongs to me. I've put my name, my mark on them. You don't steal them because you're stealing from me. Those belong to me. Uh, you leave your seat at a, some theater or something. You, you leave a jacket or something. You're marking your space. You're setting out something that somebody can see to say, no, in Exodus, um, during the the last plague, the death of the firstborn son, you were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel, the top post, and that was a seal, that was a mark that the death angel would see and pass over. And so that's what we're talking about here is a seal. And I hope you can see the connection between that and baptism. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But Ezekiel 9 verse 1 um, and this is a, a vision Ezekiel's having. And he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each of his weapons for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. In other words, they're seeing great abominations um, that are being committed in the city. And these guys are just, they're sighing and groan, groaning. They, they can't stand it. They're weeping over what's happening in their city. And he says, put a mark on their foreheads. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall not show pity. 
kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house, and they said to them, and it goes on. So this is this idea that you see, again, even in Ezekiel, this mark that's being put on the people of God, saying to the angels, don't touch them, don't harm them. And so what we want to do is say, all right, what's that mark? I want to get it. Is it the King James Bible I can hold? Everybody sees me holding up my King James Bible. They say, okay, the angels pass over me because they see that. You know, what is it? And we're told what it is. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. So 2 Corinthians 1, 20. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. First 2 Corinthians are after Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 20. All the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, this doesn't answer the question of exactly what the seal is, but we see what it is, is the Spirit of God being given to us, and he has put his seal on us. And then if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, so it's just a few more pages over, Ephesians 1.13, this is 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we've received a seal, a stamp, an authentication, a protection, and it is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are born again, you receive the seal. So you also have to be thinking at this particular point, all right, there's also the mark of the beast. And there's a comparison. So Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. These are different words. Sealing for believers is a mark on the non-believers. So Mark 14, 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So, again, it's all imagery. It's all talking about something. We see the seal of the believer is the work of the Holy Spirit, and if you look at Revelation 14.1, which is right there, then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So what's the seal? 
is the work of the Holy Spirit on our lives and is the name of the Father and the Son that's been put there by the Holy Spirit. You can't see it, but God says, I see it clearly. Death angel will pass over you. You will go through and are going through tribulation, but spiritually you will remain unharmed. These things can do nothing but increase your faith if you recognize who you are in Christ and that all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. That this present time of suffering is short and mild in comparison to the glory that awaits us. And you have been sealed and protected by the Holy Spirit. And then Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years and the rest of the dead. And it goes on. So again, they didn't receive this mark. Revelation 22, verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Speaking of Jesus Christ. So again, you see the difference. There are only two groups of people. Those who are worshiping Christ and those who are worshiping the beast. But there will be a group of people who will say, I'm not worshiping anybody. I'm, I'm unaffiliated. Nope. <laughs> that means you're being deceived by the beast. You have his mark upon you. And so there are some people today that because we get so crazy about the way we interpret these things in the book of Revelation that say, what's the mark of the beast? Because I don't want to get the mark of the beast because if I accidentally get the mark of the beast, I'm going to hell. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Do you think there's actually something out there that you can get? I mean, what if the government comes along and says, I'm tattooing 666 on your forehead? And they hold you down and they do it. Have you received the mark of the beast? Man, yeah, in some sense, you actually have. But is that what they're looking for, to be able to condemn you? Because there are some people who are saying, I can't get that vaccine because that's the mark of the beast. Stop it. I'm not saying take the vaccine, don't take the vaccine or anything. But I can tell you this, it's not the mark of the beast that's talking about here. That is ridiculous foolishness from hell. It just is. Stop that. Other things, the UPC codes, mark of the beast. You know, I was like, ugh. I'm not saying any, you should not be tattooing 666 on your forehead or anybody else or, or anywhere else. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't look good. I don't like it when my cash register receipt adds up 666 either. But it's like, but it's just a number. He said, the, I've talked to people at the cash registers and it'll come up 666. He says, he said, I tell you what, it's very good for business because if it rings up like that, they'll typically buy something else real quick. They'll throw some gum on there. I can't have it add up 666. It's such a, an understanding in our culture that this is a bad mark. But what it's talking about is don't worship the beast. Don't worship Satan. Don't worship government. Don't worship anything that sets itself up as a power other than God himself. The Lamb. And this is, and then you're sealed. You have the Holy Spirit. But people, 
we need to learn how to think critically. We need to learn how to think properly. We need to learn how to think about things that are in front of us. And we need to be able to think biblically. We need to be able to be spiritually literate. We need to be biblically literate. We need to understand what does the word of God say and what does it not say. And it is taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain if you say this is what the Bible says and it's not what it says. Or God says it's this and it's not what God says. You're not going out from me, God would say. So why are you telling people this is the fact when it's not the fact? So you have to be very careful that what we say as being the word of the Lord, that's the word of the Lord. I mean, we need to learn to share the gospel with people. We need to be able to comfort people with the word of God. But you need to be able to handle it in such a way that you're, you're actually familiar enough with it to be able to do it. I don't want to go to a doctor who... I mean, I remember going to a doctor years ago. It was the first time I went to a doctor who was younger than me. And I was asked him something, and he Googled it. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking this up. <laughs> and I'm like, well... I can do that. What's the, what, why can't I just do this at home? And he said, because you can't write prescriptions. I was like, oh, <laughs> well, there's that. But still, I don't want a doctor who's just Googling stuff. I want a doctor that's like, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I've seen this many, many times. And all you need is, I don't know, stop eating sugar. I don't know, something like that. You know, just, but you want somebody that knows the word of God. You want, you want to be a person that, that's not just an academic student of the Bible, but you know the Lord, you know the gospel, you know grace, you know mercy, and you've lived with him in his word so that when you're talking to other people, you're out is just coming the flow of the spirit out of your, your soul because the very things that I have to say to myself to comfort me is just what I say to you. I don't have to make up something. I'm just able to give an answer for the hope that's within me. And then you can do the same thing. But you really have to spend time with God in his word and among his people as well. So there's no way I'm getting through chapter 7. I knew when I was looking at it, I was biting off more than I could chew. But when we... The, Verse 2, I saw another angel ascending, rising sun, the seal of the living God, a loud voice has been given, don't harm the earth and the sea, don't harm anything, don't do this great judgment until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, and there's 12,000 from each one. Um, 144,000 is 12 squared times 1,000. There's 12 twelves and then multiply by 1,000. Uh, big picture here, this is supposed to take you back to the Old Testament, obviously, and then what it looks most like is a military census. And so there were military censuses, censi, that were taken, and, and they're all numbers, a complete number. 12 is the number of a completion, so there's going to be this complete salvation. Um, everybody that's saved this is, will be saved is what it's saying. And so interesting things from this are Judah is mentioned first. Judah never comes first in the lists. Uh, it's probably first because this is where the, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. So he's mentioned first. Reuben's the oldest, mentioned second here. But Judah is first because out of him comes Christ. You notice, because you know your Old Testament so well, that Daniel and Ephraim are not listed in this group. And you're like, what's up with Dan, Dan, the tribe of Dan and Ephraim? And it's most likely because these two um, tribes were condemned very only early on and very completely for their fall into idolatry. And so they're not even included in this list. And instead, you find Joseph, whose son was Manasseh and Ephraim. But instead of Ephraim, you see Joseph. And also, you see um, Levi, 
And that didn't stand out to me until I read my last commentary, and he made point of it. And I was like, oh. And I had a guy, one of my friends from Haiti sent me a message, and he said, why weren't the Levites included in the census, included um, in the military census? And I'm thinking, and this is a couple weeks ago before I read this chapter, and I'm thinking, what's his purpose for answering, asking that question? So I, I look it up, and I figure it out, and I said, well, it's because the Levites were the priests. Their job was to protect and serve God at the tabernacle. They were set apart from this. The rest of everybody else was going out and fighting battles here. Their battles were fought here. They protected the tabernacle. They served the Lord. This was center to their life. Now the Levites are included in the military census. They're not priests anymore. Jesus is the priest. All believers are the priests. We're now an army, as we'll see, that goes forth in peace, that goes forth with the gospel, saying there is wrath to come from the Lamb who's here to save you now if you trust in him and believe in him. And so he hears this number, and the reason it's the, the Israelite um, tribes is because the church in Israel this is the promise of Abraham that we've been included so that we are true Israel. Israel are those who believed in him and now we've been engrafted in. And so the promises to Abraham was many people, a great nation, and that all who believe in him and we're told in I'm not sure I had it written down, but, but the um, Uh, Galatians 3 7 is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham and 3 9 says if you are Christ you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise so why do we just have all these 12,000 12, from each of the tribes why just these 144,000 and it's because it's symbolic for all the people who are saved all the saints and so he hears this number just like he heard that there was a, a lion that was conquering and then he looks and he sees a lamb because the lion and the lamb are the same. And the way the lion is conquered is by the, the sacrifice of the lamb. And now here he hears a number, 144,000 from each tribe. But then he looks in verse 9, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all the tribes and peoples and languages. And look what they're doing. They're the ones that are standing before the throne. Who can stand? Those who are sealed. I hear this number, and I look and I see it's the fulfillment in the promise of Abraham, who all his children are listed here. These are 12 of the children. All the nations will be blessed. And so we come forth, and we see him. And they're crying out with a loud voice. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, because we're going to come back to this chapter next week and, and tease out some other details that are here. But what I, I do want us to see in closing is... Verse 13, because the elders address me and they say, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And he says, these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then in verse 17, we see these things there. But what's, let me just go back to 14. So, you know, these are the ones that are coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and they made them white in the blood of the lamb. The white robes are not white because they've done so good. 
They didn't come out of the tribulation because their holiness and personal perfection was so great. They did not wash their robes by doing it themselves. Isaiah has said, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The reason they have white robes is because the Lamb of God's blood washed them clean. The atoning sacrifice of Christ. It's only Jesus Christ dying for our sins do we get white robes. God had to clothe Adam and Eve. They couldn't clothe themselves. And it's all foreshadowing this, that with the blood of Christ, we receive white robes. And we stand and we're sealed. And we will go through difficulties. We will go through hard times. We will go through tribulations. But you are sealed. You are protected. No one can snatch you from the Father's hands. You are numbered. No one can number the size of this multitude except God who even has the hairs on your head numbered. You are more valuable than many sparrows. He cares for you. He protects you. He has sealed you. If you've been baptized of water, you've been marked inside the visible church. And if you have faith in him, then that mark stands before him forever as you are sealed and cleansed in his blood. And then he gives us his table. He gives us his body and his blood in the midst of our tribulation, that we might be fed by him, that we are also sealed and marked apart by him at this table. As we recommit our lives to him and we say yes and amen to all the promises of God. And we will one day stand before him in this scene in heaven that you saw as Jesus made his triumphal entry. And your king has come. And all the people that are worshiping have palm branches saying, Hosanna, just as we see here in heaven at the great foreshadowing of when God will come forth in all of his glory and power and honor and our response will be worship. But the main thing that I think we should take away from Revelation is the fact that there is tribulation. There are trials, but... We have been sealed, we are protected, we are cared for, we are nourished, we are not left alone. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Help us to worship with the fervency of the people in heaven, that we would worship you now, knowing that one day you will guide us, as you do now, to springs of living water. You tell us that the Lamb will be our shepherd. So we thank you for all that you've done, and we continue to worship you and pray that you will help us to, to not fear tribulation, to not fear the mark of the beast, not fear the beast. We are to worship you. Nothing can happen to us apart from your sovereign plan, and man may kill the body, but in your hand, our souls. And so we thank you for your sealed protection of the Holy Spirit over our lives, that we would conquer and be victorious even in trial. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.